This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations at Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. This episode is brought to you by Smart Food Popcorn. Some decisions aren't the best, like skipping ahead in your favorite podcast. Think of all the banter you'll miss, the lore in the making. Luckily, Smart Food Popcorn is a no-brainer. Deliciously tasty and available in a variety of fun flavors. It's a smart decision every time. Smart Food. Add smart. To learn more, visit smartfood.com. If you're thinking... I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain. Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes. Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery. Well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store. Like now, Go. Hello and welcome to the Radio Times podcast with me, Rihanna Dillon. So Jane is off on her holidays. She's left me behind, but luckily, here to critique the programmes today, it is Radio Times staff writer Kelly Ann Taylor, who you'll have heard previously on the podcast doing brilliant guest interviews for us. Kelly Ann, hello. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us and stepping into the breach. Please, could you give us a rundown of the programmes that we're covering this week? Of course, we've got some really exciting stuff coming up. We've got Chivalry, co-written by and starring Steve Coogan and Sarah Soleimani. We've also got BBC Two drama Life After Life, an adaptation of the famous novel by Kate Atkinson. We have the hilarious Hull Raisers <laughs> on Channel 4 and a new Amazon Prime film, All the Old Knives. Plus, I spoke to Joe Locke, one of the stars in Netflix's upcoming series Heartstopper, which you guys will be reviewing yes. next week. Uh, you might not have heard of him. But he's an absolute rising star, and you'll definitely know who he is after seeing this when it's out. Here's a clip from my interview, which we'll hear in full later on. No one should feel like they have to fit a certain norm just because that's what society says that they have to. So I think the Hot Stop has is such a just a lovely lesson for young and old in just love. So, Kellyanne, I feel like we need to know a little bit more about you before we go any further into the reviews. So, how long have you been a staff writer at the Radio Times? I have worked there for a year and a half. I never in my wildest dreams thought that I could watch TV 
write about it and somehow make a living out of it. Um, But it's been an absolute wonderful year and a half. It was my first job as a journalist, so very exciting. Wow. Um, And they threw me in at the deep end and (laughs) somehow, a year and a half later, I've wound up on the Radio Times podcast. (laughs) Your first time in a recording studio, which is so exciting. First time in a studio, which you may pick up on at some point. (laughs) No, Um, absolutely not. I have complete faith. So what is your favourite TV show of all time? Sex in the City. Is it? Not a moment of hesitation. So Carrie Bradshaw is basically your muse in life. She is the reason, 95% of the reason why I became a journalist. The other 5% is Emily Maitlis. (laughs) I feel that's very much weighed in the wrong way, but fine. (laughs) Absolutely. So we last met, and actually for the first time as well, Mm -hmm. at the Radio Times covers party a couple of weeks ago, which was a very glamorous event, where they bring up the stars of the Radio Times onto the stage, people who have graced the cover of the magazine. So we had the likes of David Tennant, the stars of Line of Duty, Mm -hmm. and NHS Heroes as well, which was really lovely. Santa Claus didn't make an appearance, which I was slightly gutted about. Yes. Did you grab Emily Maitlis that night? I did. Did you? Yes. I did an interview with Emily Maitlis whilst at university and uh, it turned my editor's head and she was an absolute delight and she spoke about Prince Andrew and the Emma Thompson interview. Um, So I went over and said, do you remember me? That's so lovely. So yes, it was lovely. I did get to speak to her. I was also working at the covers party, um, trying to rub shoulders with the celebs. Oh, you um, were. You were trying to grab quotes. them for interviews, weren't you? Yes, I was. How um, was that with all the champagne that was flowing? Well, do you know what? I think I've really learned my lesson. You are a better journalist after copious amounts of champagne <laughs> and you don't feel awkward going up and introducing yourself and stealing their time. And you're absolutely right. That is a good tip there. Let's get on with the reviews then. First up, Chivalry, which mm. is going to be on Channel 4 on Thursday the 21st with two episodes, one at 10 and one at 10.30, a double bill of Chivalry. So tell us what this is all about before we hear a clip from the trailer. Okay, so it's a comedy drama about the sexual politics in the wake of the Me Too movement. It's set on a film set in L.A., And Sarah Soleimani plays Bobby, who's been brought in by the executive producer of a film, uh, Cameron, who's played by Steve Coogan, to redirect a sex scene. Isn't she amazing? I cannot work with men like Cameron O'Neill. I'm just trying to avoid getting my bottom spanked by a bunch of angry feminists. (laughs) Cameron will reject you at first, then try to sleep with you. Don't let him. Just want to get the scene so we never have to see each other again. Finally, something we both agree on. Don't trust this man. He is sneaky. Oh, come on. You love him, but you hate him. I mean, I presume you want to make this. Of course I want to make my movie. Then get smart. And cut it! Well, I think that went rather well. So we're kind of in the intimacy coordinator world of Hollywood, where they're there still seems to be a certain amount of derision for these wonderful women and men, but predominantly women, who make actors feel safe and comfortable on set. It's kind of like that's the bit that's right for comedy in this, right? I think we've we've got very different opinions on the show, but it's funny. Did you find it funny? I thought it was hilarious. Hmm. I really honestly laughed a lot in the first episode, definitely. Episode two, mm, can get onto that a bit later, but I do, I, I think it sort of lost its way like towards the end of episode two. Episode one, we're introduced into this world where producers are 
asses. Mm. <laughs> I think it's fair to say Steve Coogan is very much in his comfort zone yeah. in that role. He we've seen him do this before, and he's also paired up with Sarah Soleimani before. So if you really want to get an idea of what this series is about, think episodes, which starred Stephen Mangan and Tamsin Gregg as two writers from the UK who moved to Hollywood to write for a, an American tv show and i feel like it's very much in that kind of vein of brits abroad in america their chemistry in terms of not romantic chemistry but how they work together is fantastic Mm. i felt at times the show verged on a little insensitive Mm. um looking back I, I read the radio times article which is out this week and it has a feature with sarah soleimani and she said about the show, it's a space where we could satirise how men and women are supposed to interact in this new climate and this new climate being post-Me Too. And I definitely felt at at times some of the jokes didn't land. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's coming... Sarah, in the piece, speaks about her own experiences. So she's had her own experiences where things have happened to her, not that she's gone into detail, but I thought is this really something we can be laughing and joking about now? You think it's too soon still? Perhaps. I mean, there's definitely parts of the show that I really enjoyed and there were definitely times that I did find it funny. But sometimes when when the jokes verge on crass, I found it difficult to sympathise or to to think, is this really a space where we need to be making those comments? Mm -hmm. And she also said, um, by laughing, you can begin to heal. Mm. And perhaps everyone has their own way of approaching this. Did it sit completely right with me? Perhaps not. Mm-hmm. But for you, did it? Like I said, I think it was really funny. I those I think those moments, because, you know, it's not like we work in the world necessarily of TV, but we're very adjacent to it. So mm. we know kind of pretty much everything they're referencing. I thought the intimacy coordinator, because that's still such a new thing. Yeah. In this, played by Ashling B. Yes. <laughs> with like, who is, she's so brilliant. She's so funny. Doesn't know hasn't seen A Midsummer Night's Dream, <laughs> like that yeah. sort of level of character. She, I thought, was completely, you know, ripped to shreds, really, mm. in quite a stereotypical way. And we are huge advocates of intimacy coordinators. And we hear from actors yeah. all of the time now how they just don't know how things were made before intimacy coordinators were on set to sort of help the communication between the director, the producer and the actors. Mm. But I guess, in a sense, you know, that's that's like the joy of satire like nothing is off the table really so I sort of I could take everything in this with I think because it was written by Sarah Soleimani who Mm. also has such kind of brilliant history in the world of TV I mean him and her is one of my favorite sitcoms of all time so I think I felt um, um, quite a large amount of trust in her and in this and so I didn't feel so much that it was laughing at the Me Too movement Mm. I felt like it was coming from a place of somebody who had been very much immersed in it and had come out the other side I suppose Agreed I think we also spoke about the intimacy coordinators and I think they raise valid points and questions so in it uh, the intimacy coordinator doesn't have much of a say or is too involved and there's no kind of balance. Mm-hmm. And we were speaking about our own experiences talking to real-life intimacy coordinators and something that definitely came up within those interviews was that it's still a role that they are defining and yes. finding their place on set. Sometimes they're overlooked or sometimes mm-hmm. they don't have as much power. I mean, I watched two episodes, so... Mm-hmm. Do you think you'll watch more? Yes, which... It, which is, I guess, hypocritical in itself, but there were parts of it I really enjoyed <laughs> and parts of it that I thought were making me shudder. 
but perhaps I'm just too sensitive. I really love shows that sort of like lift the curtain on the film and TV industry. And yes. like there's a great bit where Bobby is like striding around the set of the Bates's motel. Oh, yes. <laughs> I just thought no reference to it whatsoever. She's just on a lot, mm. um, on a film lot. And I just thought that was great. And then we have a couple of cameos, people either as themselves or as other people. I kind of don't want to spoil them because they're quite fun when they pop up. They are. And also unexpected. Like just, just having a little insight into mm. the world of just how awful people can be as well. Honestly. in the industry and even people whose side we're ostensibly supposed to be on I mean Bobby herself is a bit of a monster and um, it's just that's what I really like is the kind of nuances of like Steve Coogan is kind of does quite a partridgey joke as well about saying something quite anti-feminist but then turning it round into it just being and that's what I overheard when I <laughs> was talking to somebody and I told him no which is something that he does often very well so I think if you're a fan of that sort of slightly Classic cringy thing. comedy you might enjoy this Next up then, something a little bit different in Life After Life on BBC Two, starting on Tuesday the 19th at 9pm and then airing weekly after that. But of course, you can also find it on iPlayer. So this is based on one of my favourite novels of all time by, as you said earlier, Kate Atkinson, about Ursula, who is born in 1910. She's stillborn and then she's reborn numerous times and she dies. And each time she either goes slightly further in life or ends up getting caught in something else, which leads to another untimely timely death but each time it's brought back to this snowy night in 1910 uh, which is just the most fabulous premise ever um, and it starts with Ursula as an adult talking to her brother Teddy. If I could come back again I'd be a baker. Why a baker? I love cake. I'd make constant cakes. <laughs> you could be a baker now after the war. Come back. Be a baker. If you die, what's the plan for the next life? I can be anything I want. Anything you want. Can I be a man? Absolutely. Be a man. What sort of man? I don't know. Maybe I want to come back as me. But I'd do things better. If you came back, would you want the same family? Me as your brother? Definitely. Pamela? Jimmy? Mum and Dad? Morris? Eh. <laughs> so that was Thomasin McKenzie, who you might know from Jojo Rabbit and Last Night in Soho. Kellyanne's just had a little revelation there. <laughs> I have indeed. And also Sean Delaney, who if you're a fan of Killing Eve, you'll know him as Lovely Kenny. Please tell me that you loved this as much as I did, Kellyanne. I loved it. Yes. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. And I hadn't read the book. Mm. So I went in knowing absolutely nothing, clicked play. And was very confused because, as you say, we witness somebody giving birth and the baby has the cord wrapped around the neck. And then instantly afterwards, we see the baby born and everything's fine. And we go on this journey with Ursula. She's a very anxious child. Mm. So every time she dies, she there's some kind of inkling in her brain that that's going to happen again. Yeah, she doesn't have exact memories, does she? No. But there is some sort of residue. An anxiety, over. yeah. And I, yeah, I thought it was brilliant um, and something that's perhaps worth saying. It's a bit of a harrowing watch. You're watching this child die again and again and again and sometimes in horrific circumstances. Not yeah. that they're particularly graphic about it, but you are watching 
a five-year-old die. Mm. One that was particularly harrowing is when she falls out the window trying to grab her toy. Yeah. That, for me, was 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 harder watching than perhaps I anticipated because it's not so gruesome. Yes, there are, I think, if you're a, a parent as well, seeing, mm. all, and because all of the ways that she dies are kind of accidental deaths, that all of those situations that your parents worry about, she sort of dies in all of those situations at one point or another and then is reborn yeah. um, and then has a sort of fear or at least or somebody stops her each time or someone is there to save her for the next time or not because we don't know how many iterations there really are in this world of Ursula and her family but I really love the sort of cosy setup of this big family in Fox Corner Um, so you have this very repressed but still kind of loving passionate mother um, played by Sean Clifford yeah who is so fabulous in this isn't she she's so brilliant she does that sort of cold stoic British like so well yes there was a moment where they're on the train and um, Ursula comes in for a cuddle and she says you're too old for that and I thought wow that's that's Britain. She's only about <laughs> five, isn't she, yeah. at that moment? And she has nearly drowned that day. Yes. And yes, you're so right. It's, it, that's a quite a devastating moment for both of them, I think. It's that realisation that this mother is trying to make her child grow up and snap out of being a, a little bit of a worry war. Yeah. Um, of course, we know why she has reason to worry. And then the father is played by James McArdle. And then a really small kind of part for Jessica Hines as the cook in this, who we just see every so often. Do you know what I really wanted to know? And I don't know if this is just because I've got a curious brain, um, but I really wanted to see how the family reacted when she died. And we don't see that. We just get transported back. Yes, because I guess we are with Ursula each time. We're mm. not with the family. We don't no. see the reactions. And you're so right. I was desperate to see that as well. And it's, I guess it's that sort of need for catharsis each time. Mm. But we, we need to see the grief that comes out of the death. And we don't. Yeah. We just see the rebirth each time. Is that the same in the book? Will, yeah, Will viewers so. who have read the book like this show? How do they compare? How do they compare? I really think so. I think it's such a difficult... I mean, it's been nearly 10 years um, since the book came out and I think there's a reason why it's taken 10 years to get this made into a, into a TV series. And it's just always been at the edge of my consciousness, this book, in sort of everything that I kind of watch or think about, which does have any sort of similar themes, this book comes into my brain. So it, honestly, it was such a pleasure to see it realised on screen because it... It is magical realism, but it's not. There is nothing else that's magical about this apart from the fact that she is reincarnated each time in her own body. Um, And this could have easily gone into sort of like sci-fi world in some element or, you know, really push the magic even more. And the only thing that we get a nod to that is every time that she dies, there is snow. Mm. And it's almost like the cycle is starting again already, even before she's died, because there was snow falling when she was born. And I just think that's a really lovely way of showing that circle of life. It's also directed by John Crowley, who did Brooklyn, which I know, you know, was a hugely successful much-loved film yeah, starring Saoirse Ronan. So if you're a fan of his sort of sensibility in terms of his filmmaking, mm. I think he's particularly good with female characters as well, kind of getting a whole spectrum of emotion out of them. Big thumbs up to Life After Life. It does make us question what we're going to do with our short lives and what we would do if we were to live it all again. Would you come back as a baker like Gold Teddy? No, thank you. Would you? <laughs> I can't bake. If um, It hurts my arms. All the kneading. Yes. If I had to relive my life again and it was a life which didn't lead me to sitting in this booth with you right now, I wouldn't want to relive it. Thank you very much. So it's a big 10 out of 10 for both of us. It's a big 10 out of 10. 
Coming up, Kellyanne's interview with Joe Locke for Netflix's Heartstopper and a review of the big release of the week, All the Old Knives. But for now, let's talk Hull Razors. This was so good. <laughs> so it's a new series on Channel 4 starting on Tuesday the 12th of April at 9.45. It's released as a box set after the first episode is aired and continues weekly for six weeks. Kellyanne, you're a fan. Take it away. I'm a big fan of this. It's about three women in their 30s who live in Hull and it's about the dynamic between them, which doesn't sound groundbreaking, but it is the funniest <laughs> show I have seen in a very long time. We've got three characters. So there's Rana, who's a policewoman, mm -hmm. and her life is ruled by her libido. <laughs> we've got massive. I really liked Rana. <laughs> I really liked Rana too. Um, we've got Tony, who's an aspiring actress, uh, but with absolutely no screen time to her name. And she's a mother. She's always looking for a night out. And then we've got Paula, um, who's a bit more of a homebod. And it's about the dynamic between the three of them. Paula is also a mum, and she has quite a um, tumultuous relationship with her daughter as we will hear in this clip. I am the law! I am the law! Right, you ask for it! Out. Come on. Right. This is child abuse! That felt good. Yes. They're not going to be acting up again in a hurry. <sighs> okay. Was that a bit much? Maybe a little bit. Oh my god! Oh my god! Turn what, the car what, what have I done? Turn the car around. I can't turn the car around. The exit's not for three miles. Oh, please don't turn me out the car too, Paul. Oh there. god, call them! Call them! Call her! Call her quickly! Call her! Tell her to go up the embankment and stay put. I can't believe I've just abandoned my baby. What kind of mother am I? I'm gonna end up on the cover and take a break. Just the delivery of that line. Uh, delivery is just so good. It just made me cackle it's so, so much, this series. It's actually adapted from an Israeli sitcom called Little Mums. Um, and it also feels like it's got motherland vibes, but very much away from the middle class issues that they deal Massively. with about like not being able to get a seat for their laptop in a cafe this feels so much more like realistically how women talk to each other i think what we're starting to see is we're starting to see spaces where women's voices are finally being heard so we're seeing 30 year olds we're seeing women who don't quite know where they're at even though they're in their 30s you know we're we're conditioned to believe if you have children and you have a career that every box will be ticked yeah. and you'll be happy. But what we see is, yes, one of, you know, several of them have children. One of them's incredibly happy living at home and, and being a house mum. In her dressing gown, In like her, squirting yeah. whipped cream into her mouth every night for a little bit of joy. <laughs> but Tony wants to go out and she wants to get messy. She wants to have booze. And we see at the end of the first episode, her and her element when she's had a few drinks. And I think... We all like that. Yes. It's good to see. That is such a lovely moment because you, yeah, you see her completely off a trolley, but also entertaining people. And obviously it feels like stand-up might be the way forward for her. She she clearly knows how to... Charm. G up a crowd. Yeah. And the best thing about that scene was her husband walks in on her. Mm. He's been looking looking after their daughter. They've had a pretty, like, eventful day. Mm. Um 
and he just looks at her and he smiles and he doesn't judge her he doesn't have a go at her this is a couple who actually love each other and they don't seem to have you know they might have little problems in their marriage like everybody else but they don't it's not going to be some sort of huge dramatic takedown of a relationship or the fact that this man resents this woman because she wants to do something else other than live in this nuclear family Mm. and I was like this is so refreshing and it's wild how few times we actually see that sort of relationship on screen and he's played by um, Perry Fitzpatrick from This Is England I think he was always the one that was like Ginge so big fan of seeing him on screen and Tony who is Leah Brotherhead I didn't really know her from anything before but she is a really natural fit I was so kind of thrilled to be in the lives of these three women this is a space that I also want to inhabit alongside them well it's charming and and the way that they respond and as you say there's no judgment so at one point Tony rocks up for her big night out um, and turns (laughs) up at the door and Rana has decided she no longer needs saving from the awful date she was going on because there's another sexy man in the room and there's no judgement it's what's so exciting about series like these is you watch it you fall completely in love and it gives you space in your own life to not to not have that judgment, mm-hmm. you know, to to be the loud person in the room having one too many drinks and enjoying yourself and being charming or to be sexually liberated, it's lovely. Or to be the person who likes to stay at home mm-hmm. and shout at their daughter about losing their virginity. That's also <laughs> fine. Take your pick. It really does kind of cover all manner of sins, I think. And yeah, really is a joy to watch. We both loved Hull Raises, so watch it on Channel 4. Tuesday the 12th of April at 9.45. Next up, we have an exclusive interview with Joe Locke. Kellyanne, you spoke to him. So before we get into the interview, can you give us an overview of Heartstopper? Heartstopper is an LGBTQ plus drama that's coming out on Netflix about two young schoolboys, Nick and Charlie, and their blossoming relationship. It's based on the graphic novel by Alice Oseman, and it's coming to Netflix on Friday, the 22nd of April. You're going to hear my chat with Joe Locke after this clip from Heartstopper. Mr. Ajay. Charlie Spring. Hi, the question. Well, I am officially a beacon of learning, so fire away. How do I stop liking someone, specifically a straight guy? Ah, a question for the ages. I thought you had a boyfriend. No, no, he was horrible. This is someone else. Wow, being a teenager is terrible. You know, when I was a teenager and had a crush on a straight boy, I just repressed it and suffered. That doesn't sound very healthy. Mm. Now, this may seem obvious, but have you tried putting some space between you? No, what? I can't do that. Or can't or don't want to. No. I'm just saying. I need realistic solutions. He's... he's a really good friend. I'm afraid you're just going to have to suffer then. Heartstopper was doing an open call and a family friend was like, you, sh- you, should-, you should go for it. I was like, mm-hmm. I guess, I guess. I'm. What's the harm? What's yeah. the harm of going for it? What's going to happen? And then I found out I'd got the part. Had you ever been on a set? I hadn't been on any, like, professional anything. But everyone on set was just... It was just such a lovely, warm environment. Um, The show is based on the comic book. Yes. And that has a huge following. Did you know about it, like, the comic book before? When the casting call came out, I, like, one night I just read them all. I think there was three of the four volumes out at that point. I read them all in just one sitting. Like it was like a almost like Jamie Tubby dinner. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just read them all and just completely and utterly fell in love with the characters because I just saw a lot of myself and a lot of Charlie and I saw 
a lot of my friends and the people that Charlie hangs around with and I just instantly just fell in love with all of the characters yeah. and the world that Alice had created. I checked your Instagram and you've got like so many fo- <laughs> like has that all happened since you've started? In a day I went from like a thousand Instagram followers to like 15,000 in a day and then I think now I'm on like 90 something. Yeah. Alice has somehow managed to just get the most lovely group of people who support her and support her work and and support Heartstopper. And I think, so I never felt like this crushing responsibility to do it right, because I always felt like we had the freedom to make these characters into the versions of the characters that we saw. You're a few years older than the, the character is. That must have been interesting for you to play someone confidently out, whereas Nick is, isn't. It was that kind of something that you related to? What's so lovely about Heartstopper is it brings those stories to the forefront and, and sort of portrays them not as the, the quirky, weird kid, just as this is our generation and this is the people that we shouldn't have as side characters for some comic relief. We should have them in the forefront because there are no teenagers that fit into this very narrow stereotype. Do you think that these stories are going to become more popular we we will see more because the industry is changing as our generation seem to be becoming more about spreading spreading the stories and the narratives i think some people might see it as oh there's just more gay people nowadays and i don't think that's true at all i think it's more that just people are feeling more comfortable in being themselves because our society has moved on from days of alienation and persecution into a society that is becoming and still isn't isn't there at all, but is becoming more accepting and open to people that don't fit the norm. I hope that is why it's great to have stories like Heartstopper that are unapologetically different. We're becoming into a society, society where it isn't just straight gay. Very much sexuality is becoming this fluid thing that no one has to label or people are just just who they are and that's a beautiful thing I think because no one should feel like they have to fit a certain norm just because that's what society says that they have to so I think the heart stop has it's such a just a lovely lesson for young and old in just love and loving yourself and loving those around you and love in not just a romantic way but the love that Charlie and Tao have or Ellen Charlie have and 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 a friend that love that that can bring to different people and can bring to you to create you as a person more I think you know if this was a romance between a man and a woman would we be having the same conversation but I Mm -hmm. think maybe these conversations are important to have until we get to that place where most of the cast LGBT or was it not a, a lot a lot of the cast if if were in the community and if not were very 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 strong allies of the community yeah. and we had sessions with Stonewall before we started filming it we had like two weeks of rehearsals where we all just told our stories and hearing a lot of different people's journeys to self-acceptance and struggles they've gone through was just really really great this show is quite unapologetically wholesome and it I think the tone that it has is, is very different to anything we've seen on screen for a really long time. What Alice in her writing has done really cleverly is written the story from a positive outlook that can appeal to younger viewers without making the story quote unquote childish. 
finally then, All the Old Knives, which is a big, shiny Amazon Prime film out now with some very big names attached. Kellyanne, what's this all about? Well, it certainly is big and it certainly is shiny. Um, <laughs> it's an American thriller. It's about ex-lovers and spies, Henry and Celia. Henry played by Chris Pine and Celia played by Tandy Wayne Newton. They meet over dinner to reminisce about their time working in Vienna. And this is eight years after a terrorist attack has happened and 120 people were killed. And Henry has been sent to interrogate Celia over dinner about the hijacking of a plane because it's come to light that someone leaked vital information to the terrorists. So they think it might be an inside job. Let's take a listen. Vic has me looking into flight 127. Why? Too many inconsistencies. So this is an interview. I was in Santa Clara, and driving down was... I wanted to see you. But I also have to close the book on this. I thought you were here to see if we still had that old spark. This is one of the most sultry crime thrillers Mm. I've ever watched. There is a lot of eye-gazing. A lot. There's a lot of skin touching. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of sex scenes in the flashbacks. There are. Which, again, I'm so used to seeing Chris Pine in a certain kind of spy thriller where he's much more active. So just seeing him sitting across a table Mm. and having a good old chin wag was was quite new. The acting between Tandy Wayne Newton and Chris Pine is phenomenal. Do you think they have really good chemistry? Because I heard like mixed things and I thought they were pretty steamy. I think they have phenomenal chemistry. Mm. Who is spreading these vile rumours? <laughs> They're fantastic. And I think you really you really buy into it and you really believe them. Even though they're playing a younger version of themselves and an older version of themselves, which they've only really differentiated by by giving them both a different haircut. Yeah, Tandy White's got a very bad wig. <laughs> she does have. It's an appalling wig. That's my only flaw of the film. I kind of agree. Like That's the most shocking thing is why she would let that on her head. <laughs> Because she's stunning, but it was yes, it's a weird, it's a weird choice. But when I first started watching the film, I thought at the beginning, mm, is this that interesting? There's a lot of yes. Is this going to be overcomplicated? Mm-hmm. Is there going to be various plot threads that I'm going to lose myself in? And actually, by the end, I thought phenomenal. I'm so glad you said that because I honestly had to restart this film multiple times because I was like, I've missed something really crucial here. Because it's on Amazon Prime as well, so you're not watching it on a big screen. Mm. And I did struggle initially because I was like, what bits of this am I supposed to be Mm -hmm. remembering and like putting together at the end? Because they give you so much information at, at the beginning in maybe the beginning, like, five, ten minutes, that is obviously going to be very important later on. Yeah. So you do, and it sounds really stupid, but for some reason I'm used to films easing you in a little bit yeah. more. And it like, jumps. Here's all the massive. crucial stuff yeah. you need. Yes, it does jump. And by the time you figure that out, you know, it's fine. Um, but you're right. I think that once you get over that initial hump, it's like reading Persuasion. You need to get through the first few pages and then you're into one of the best novels of all time. Yeah. I didn't know how you were going to feel about this because I know you do a lot of film reviews and film work. So I thought perhaps I'm a little bit basic for really loving this. Oh, no, I think because it's, it's sweet. Because it's big stars. Yeah. It's plotty. But in the same way that we all... Plotty. It's a good description. It's plotty. (laughs) It had that same vibe for me or that same underlying love as James Bond films. Does it have as much nuance? I don't think so. But 
Wait, what? You're saying that James Bond has more nuance than this film? Yes. <laughs> and Do you not agree? And more plot. <laughs> Less plot. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Rihanna. <laughs> so the interrogation happens over dinner. Henry and Celia meet in a restaurant, and that's where predominantly the film takes place. It's this beautiful kind of wine bar, isn't it? And yeah. it kind of overlooks, this, you have this Cali- Californian sunset in the background, mm. and the light gets darker, because it takes place over a few hours, ostensibly. But then you also have this flashbacks. Mm. So we're going back eight years. We yeah. also go to London um, mm-hmm. briefly. We see Jonathan Price pop up yes. as another possible mole. So this is, I did want to ask your opinion on this because Lawrence Fishburne, who is, you know, a huge star, you'll know from The Matrix predominantly, but he's been in a hell of a lot more since then. But he has quite a tiny role. And I'm like, is that him being underused or is that a cameo role? And I never know like where the spectrum is for that sort of thing. Agreed. He does have a small role, but an important role. Yes. I don't know. Yeah. Where's where's the line between cameo and small performance? But they do say that, don't they? No no small roles, only small actors. <laughs> That's really? the saying. Yeah. Is it? So maybe he just thought this is too good an opportunity to miss. If you're going into like a Chris Pine thriller, I think you might expect a bit more action in this. I was a little yeah. bit wary as well about it sort of being about terrorism. Yes, I wanted to talk to you about that. Jane and I touched upon this when we reviewed Slow Horses because I was talking about are we all, are we still going to have terrorists being, oh, there's a brown bearded man, the terrorist, yeah. you know, like the really old cliche stereotype. Um, and so I was a little bit worried about the beginning of this film, which is about that but I guess it's because we we don't we move a little bit away from the actual plane the hijacking and it's so much more about the CIA and the way that they work to be honest when I watched that I had exactly the same reservations when it began and I thought okay do we need to be seeing this yeah I don't think that it was relevant to the film and I don't as in I don't think it was necessary to Mm. make make the terrorist Muslim yeah and I felt could we not have just chosen someone else? Yeah. And, can, you know, it's not relevant to the plot line. Later, when they realise it's an inside job, it becomes important that somebody has been leaking information. It doesn't matter which group they're leaking the information to. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I thought that was tired. That was the only part yeah. that I thought they could have changed that. Yeah. And it would have had no effect on the film. So this was actually based on a book and the book's... The title was inspired by a line about revenge from Plato. And the line is, all the old knives that have rusted in my back, I drive in yours. And I think the director like found that really inspiring and poetic about something quite brutal. And I guess that is this film. It mm. is, you know, it's a brutal story, but also it's, it's about love. Yeah. And it is about poetry. And Honestly, if you are like me and you like films like James Bond, but you also love The Notebook. This is the perfect <laughs> coming together of two genres. What a crossover. It is. It's great. And, you know, often in these, often as well, I think we see in thrillers or crime dramas, there's normally a very sexy woman and there's lots of sex scenes and she's not really relevant to the plot. Whereas this felt very equal footing. It kind of links back to chivalry where these sex scenes the kind of sex scenes that should be there because mm-hmm. they're relevant to the plot, they're relevant to how people feel and emotion and I thought it was brilliant. And it was satisfying. Every flashback had a reason to be there mm-hmm. because they're literally going back hour by hour over what happened that day. 
Yeah. So everything is just feels, and as, as we say about being in the restaurant, having those conversations, it does a really good job of treading that line between, is he interrogating her? Is he just trying to seduce her? And mm. actually you have no idea which way he really feels. Yeah. Because he's a spy. He's a spy. <laughs> he's a very good one. Chris but he's Pine. also in love. So that is All the Old Knives available on Amazon Prime now. So we've done reviews, but now it's time for some correspondence. So we have an email from Scepter. Oh my God, the first episode of The Split was so good. Anyway, horse actors. <laughs> yep, this is great. This is training my brain to remembering what we talked about in the last podcast. We talked about why didn't they ask Evans? And we were talking about horsey actors. Scepter says, My brother worked on the film Braveheart. His job, amongst other things, was to look after all the horses on set. One of the horses was a bit too lively and was on the verge of being sacked. (laughs) My brother offered to ride him and if he could control the horse, the horse wouldn't lose his job. My brother was able to manage the horse so the horse wasn't fired. My brother got promoted to an extra and got to wear all the gear, etc. Amazing. That is a flex and a half. That's a great little insight. We like stories like that. Yes, especially involving horses. And we have a second email here from Rachel. It's Dear Jane and Rihanna, I'm not a regular at emailing in, but felt compelled to let you know how much I am enjoying your company, having stumbled across your podcast. I, like others, find myself smiling and even laughing out loud as I walk the dog. Jane's dry wit and upfront way of stating reality just (laughs) lifts my spirit. Sugar Free Farm had me hooting in the street. And Rihanna's vivacious approach and intoxicating laugh, I can agree there, (laughs) bring me joy. Sometimes you save me precious time in ruling out certain shows, Chloe, for example. I struggle to grab the right glasses to be able to read what an actor is typing on a phone. My kids, if they are enduring my TV shows, read out for me. And you even gave me pause for thought. I really didn't loathe the Adam K character and this is going to hurt. Well, hopefully they haven't mind my guest appearance. Oh, I'm sure. That was what a lovely thing. Thanks, Rachel. That's really nice. So sweet. Thank you so much for getting in touch. If you would like to email, it's podcast at radiotimes.com. Good, bad, anything constructive. We would love to hear from you. And also, let's just big up Kellyanne for stepping in while Jane's on her holidays. Now, don't forget, we have a weekly bonus episode called Smart TV from the Radio Times' very own David Butcher. We've got so many of you talented lot coming on the podcast. I love it. Um, You'll have heard David on past episodes of this podcast. And each week, he's going to be supplying you with 10 TV reviews in 10 minutes that we haven't had time to cover. So you'll just have an endless list of brilliant programmes to watch. So David is the previews editor on the Radio Times magazine. He's been watching TV and writing about it for nearly two decades. There's barely a big TV show in recent memory that he hasn't watched. So check out the Radio Times podcast feed for Smart TV and you'll find it there every Friday. Um, Kellyanne, it is time for what we watched. Mm-hmm. You are stepping into the quiz master role. Thank you. This week, which you really dodged a bullet there. Well done. Yep. You're in the hot seat. I am indeed. I will take it away. Um, so I am really glad I'm the one holding the piece of paper for this what we watched feature. And not in your shoes. I do listen every week and I am always wrong. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. There is a fanfare. You can't see this, but Kellyanne just turned into William Tell. I'm feeling very regal and royal after that. So, um, shall I ask the question? Please go for it. Okay, I'm going to give you three clues with clips, and you have to guess the year. 
I don't need to tell you that. You do it every week. Ready? <laughs> I'm ready. Your first clue. Desperate Housewives makes its initial UK debut. Ooh. Overnight Figures achieves an audience of 4.4 million viewers. Some of the main characters go on to have Hollywood success, including Eva Longoria. Here she is, making her debut. Gabrielle Solis, who lives down the block, brought a spicy paella. Since her modelling days in New York, Gabrielle had developed a taste for rich food and rich men. Carlos, who worked in mergers and acquisitions, proposed on their third date. Gabrielle was touched when tears welled up in his eyes. But she soon discovered this happened every time Carlos closed a big deal. Gabrielle liked her paella piping hot. However, her relationship with her husband was considerably cooler. I love the way they say paella. Paella. And also we know why her relationship with her husband was cooler, because she was having it off with the gardener. Oh dear. Did you, did you not watch Desperate Housewives? Do you know what? I used to watch it when I was um, <clears throat> off sick from school. Oh God, do you know what? This is so weird, because normally it's Jane who is the one that feels like the oldest in the room, and uh, it's very much my turn this week. I'm sorry. It's okay. It was... I might have also been at school. Well, let's find out. What's clue number two? <laughs> so the second clue is David Tennant replaces Christopher Eccleston to become the 10th Doctor Who. Here's a clip. First things first, be honest. How do I look? Um, different. Good different or bad different? Just different. Am I ginger? No, you just sort of... Brown. I wanted to be ginger. I've never been ginger. And you, Rose Tyler, fell how good you were. You gave up on me. Oh, that's rude. That's all man I am now. I'm rude. Rude and not ginger. I'm sorry. Who is this? I'm the doctor. He's the doctor. Well, what happened to my doctor? Or is it a title that's just passed on? I'm him. I'm literally him. Same man, new face. Well, new everything. What a moment. <gasps> so a good. Moment. Oh, God. And Chris Eccleston was excellent and also quite a rude doctor. Um, but but David Tennant really was the doctor of my childhood. And mine. Oh, Kelly. And my favourite doctor. If you're listening, David, you are my favourite. Um, and the third clue, Bleak House is a 15-episode adaptation of the Charles Dickens novel for BBC One. Its stars include a young Anna Maxwell Martin and Carrie Mulligan. Here's a clip with Gillian Anderson as Lady Deadlock and Charles Dance as Mr Tuckinghorn. I have something to tell you, something so dreadful I'm not sure that I have the courage to speak the words. There's some mystery here. The great lady had a secret. How long have you known I have suspected for a long while. And now you are going to expose me. There is a price to be paid for acts of defiance. You may be sure that calamity and disgrace is coming to the house of deadlock. Final clue. Films of the year include The Constant Gardener with Rafe Fiennes and Rachel Weisz, Mr and Mrs Smith with Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt, and Madagascar. Oh my God, Madagascar. This is very topical. It's very. Madagascar stars, apart from like... Ben Stiller and David Schwimmer, Chris Rock and Jada Pinkett Smith. Where they first met. In a film together. If only they could have thrown it forward a few years. Which is, year is it? Oh my God. Is it 2006? So, so close. Is it 2005? Yes. It yes. <laughs> oh my Yay! God, for that. <laughs> How joyous. Oh, that is like the that closest. Was good. That, yeah, thank you. That was brilliant. <laughs> 
<laughs> if this has provoked TV memories of your own, let us know. It's podcast at radiotimes.com. Or you can find us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at Radio Times. So, eggs are on the cover of this week's Radio Times because it's Easter. Don't forget, if you want to make sure that you receive your copy of the Radio Times every week, you can subscribe by visiting buysubscriptions.com forward slash Radio Times. Mine always slaps onto the mat every Wednesday and it is genuinely a highlight of my week. If you want a list of the programmes that we've discussed today and where to find them, go to the episode notes wherever you get your podcast. Do follow to get episodes as soon as they come out and really importantly, tell literally everyone in your contacts, your social media groups, your friends, your family. It helps us to keep making this. The Radio Times podcast is produced by something else for immediate media. There we go. Absolute star. Picked it up so much quicker than I did. Thank you so much, Kellyanne, for joining us this week. I hope to have you on next time Jane deserts me. Thanks for having me. You're so welcome. Welcome. 